Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to the Yes Means Yes show, where the personal and the political get intimate. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and every other week I'm joined by a smart and provocative guest to discuss sex, sexuality, and or sex-related current events. And then we put our principles into practice with a real-world advice question. I have a treat for you this week. I have Kate Harding for you, dear listeners. Um, you may know Kate Harding uh, from the blog she founded, Shapely Prose, uh, and the book she wrote that was inspired by that, which is amazing, called Lessons of the Fatosphere. You may have read her on Jezebel or on Salon or on Dame. Um, and you probably know, uh, and you're going to... For- you're going to for sure, if you don't already, that she has an amazing new book out called Asking For It, The Alarming Rise of Rape Culture and What We Can Do About It. Kate, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jacqueline. Um, as you know, I love your new book. Full disclosure, Kate thank and I you. are kind of pals. And also, I blurbed her book. So, you know. Yep. <laughs> there's no illusion here of unbiased, all right? Right. <laughs> We're biased, Okay. We get that yes. out of the way. Um, Transparency is more important than objectivity. Amen. One of the things that I say in the book, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, God bless you. You wrote a book about rape culture. Um, Thank you. And I say that mostly because it meant you had to spend an enormous world of time thinking about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to start here. Was that fucking miserable? <laughs> it kind of was. <laughs> um, there were times when, um, you know, it was really, you'd be on a roll with the righteous fury and it feels so good and this is going to be important and I'm so happy I'm doing it. And then there were times where I just had to be like, you know, stop myself short from like actually throwing my computer in the lake and just going to live on a mountain somewhere. Um, it Not too late. Yeah, I know, right? I haven't ruled it out. Um, it just, it would get really wearying, but then that was all the more reason to do it because I feel like apart from, um, you know, yes means yes, your wonderful, uh, anthology that you edited with Jessica Valenti and that I am in, um, from a few years ago, I was gonna say, it felt like there wasn't much out there that was current. Yeah. Um, 
And, and well, and you know, what we did I, yes means yes because it had been over ten years since transforming a rape culture. Right, exactly. Um, um, there's actually a legal scholar from um, DePaul University in Chicago, Jody Raphael, who did a book called "Rape Is Rape" in 2013. That um, I really liked that book a lot, and I ended up drawing on it for this. Uh, so I I want to give her a shout out because I think that was with a, a smaller press and didn't get as much attention. Um, but so there is something that was out there, but there was not anything out when I sold the book except for Yes Means Yes. Got it. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, and it was just like, OK, you know, we haven't there was kind of a rash of books on rape and rape culture in the 90s. Um, and then there just wasn't for a long time until, you know, like I said, Yes Means Yes. And you were obviously aware of the same problem. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the book is wonderful. The book is actually surprisingly less hard to read than I thought it would be. Um, and I want listeners to know that too. Like it does not read like homework. You're like, right. <laughs> it yeah. really feels like it feels like Kate Harding is like, is like your friend and is talking you through some stuff. Thanks. I've, I've you know, <laughs> I've heard that before and, and I'm glad that that's what it feels like because I am your friend. Um, it's, I figured a couple things, you know, there was basically no point in writing this book if it was just going to be too dry and unapproachable for the people who need to read it. Right. Um, and, and also that's just how I write. Like, I don't know, I, I kind of don't know how to write about anything without cracking jokes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's what makes it bearable to even think about is that like, uh, you know, you, you can, share in this feeling of like oh my god what the fuck is happening (laughs) like are you kidding me with this like that's what I feel the whole like spirit of the book is it's that it's not like I'm going to sit you down and make you eat your vegetables it's like what the fuck is going on you have this wonderful skill with snark where like it's not it doesn't come across as sort of like bitter or mean, but instead really becomes incisive. I do not have that skill. Usually when I aim for <laughs> snark, I go in the wrong place. But um but you are you are a very skilled uh snarker, I guess. Thank you. Um, <laughs> do you come by that naturally? I, I kind of do. I well, yes and no. I mean I come by snarking naturally and the part where I'm not terribly mean has actually been something I've had to teach myself to do because you know I kind of learned the hard way where I would think I was just joking with people when I was younger just teasing and I would really hurt people's feelings Mm. and then I was like oh but I don't want to be doing that either um and so I started to figure out more kind of how to use the snark for good (laughs) yeah it doesn't feel flip like it doesn't feel minimizing and it's always punching up I don't know but the snark really helps you get through some of the tough material right it's sort of like can you fucking believe this shit (laughs) fucking break um what have been the parts that people have been responding to because you've been on tour for a few weeks with this now um and I'm sure doing a bunch of interviews like this one what are the parts of the book that people that you're hearing really big responses for um, the one thing almost everybody mentions that I'm probably most proud of is the false accusation chapter. Um, that was another one where I thought this book is not worth writing if I don't take on false accusations head on and really discuss them in a nuanced way instead of just trying to, you know, it's very easy to say, and, and it's true, that they are a very small minority of rape reports that 
uh, the best statistic is somewhere between 2 and 8% of reports are false, and that means over 90% are real, and we should absolutely be talking about those. But I also wanted to talk about how false accusations happen, um, in part so that nobody could say that I didn't sure. even acknowledge that, but also in part because the more I read about it, the more I saw that you know the ones that get as far as someone actually being prosecuted uh, for a crime he didn't commit, that there are so many people involved in making that happen that it's really not just a case of some woman decides to lie and suddenly the ball is rolling and a, a guy is caught up in this Kafkaesque nightmare. It's a matter of um, the way the police b- believe in rape myths and stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And so if someone comes in and says, I was raped at gunpoint and they, you know, wrote hate on my belly or something like that, even though it's backwards, um, <laughs> like, you know, they're like, oh my God, this is a rape case we can actually prosecute. It's, you know, it's so much better than if you came in here and told us that your boyfriend raped you, which we can probably not do anything about. Right. Um, and then, you know, you see like in the Duke lacrosse case, like the woman who, uh, who made that accusation was clearly, uh, you know, mentally ill and doing a lot of drugs and not, um, you know, not that people who are mentally ill and doing a lot of drugs can't get raped. In fact, they do. In fact, they're quite vulnerable. But she was so, there were so many huge red flags that she was not reliable and it just kept going. And then the prosecutor in that case is really the one who ought to shoulder, you know, most of the blame for that going as far as it did and becoming such a nightmare. And in fact, he was disbarred later. Um, it, it was just one of those things where the prosecutor decided, I'm going to make my name on and, you know, uh, impress everyone by um, putting these guys in prison, even though there was so much evidence that it had not happened the way she was saying it had. Um, and and that's the problem is that I think those of us who are doing anti-rape work, want to make sure everybody knows we don't want that you know we don't want to put innocent people in prison that's horrible um and we don't want police and prosecutors who are going to fail in their job to um do due diligence and to exercise reasonable skepticism it's when you um exercise unreasonable skepticism where it's just you're skeptical across the board if someone says they were raped that's where the problem is well and the skepticism is is and I, i think as you brilliantly illustrate like completely it's like a photo negative of where it needs to be placed, right? Right. Which is also why we see that most false rape cases are against strangers, mm-hmm. um, because those are the the rape cases that the police t- tend to think are sound believable. Right. Um, That's which is also what I t- tell you know I I did this um, orientation recently at a primarily like a very male heavy school, which I'll rename remain nameless. Um, and it was, it was a really interesting conversation, but there was like this minority of guys who like during the Q and a, all they wanted to do was talk about false rape. And, 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 you know, I told them two to 8%, blah, blah, blah. I wish I had told them, which I uh, which actually you say in the book. And I saw you say in an interview, like, actually you should be worried more about being raped. Like statistically speaking, men are more likely to be raped than they are to be victims of a false accusation. And I think that's really compelling and we don't talk about that enough. Um, But I literally would talk about all that stuff. And then, and I did several sessions at the school because it was like the whole class and they couldn't fit them all in one room. Um, And in each one, someone would say a different person would raise their hand and be like, okay, but still, 
what if I do? Like, what if I'm in a relationship and I break up with her and to get back at me, she accuses me? And I literally am like, dude, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, you need a good lawyer if that happens. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not being flip. I just like, like, what is it? What is the, what are you trying right. to say? And I, th- I think that part of it is, you know, like 18 year old guys showing off for each other. But part of it is like this really overwhelming belief among guys that sort of there but for the grace of god go i right um i think that yeah i think the fear of that actually happening to you is really inflated um compared to the chance that it would um but i also think that it speaks to you know such a sad bleak view of women that um they're these you know vengeful capricious beasts who if you break up and they're mad about it they're gonna go accuse you of a horrible crime um you know, has that ever happened? Maybe. I, I honestly sure. don't know. Um, but th- that's exactly like you said. If it does, like, oh, man, that sucks. Yeah. You bad break. <laughs> and you need a lawyer now. Um, that, like, it's not like, oh, right, this is a big problem where we should be, you know, doing more about the scourge of women being vengeful assholes. Right. Um it's, but I think that that's how it gets presented a lot and how um, a lot of young people especially think about it, that it's just, it, it's like this one-to-one thing of like, okay, well, maybe she will get raped, but maybe I will get falsely accused, and that's just as bad. And it's like, okay, okay, A, the accusation itself, not really just as bad as a rape. <laughs> like, if it goes as far as, you know, you're prosecuted, then that's pretty fucking terrible. But it's... Uh, those things just don't go together. It's like rape is this problem that is happening every day in alarmingly huge numbers to all genders. And false accusations are this very rare thing that um, are just overblown so much in our culture. And that most of the time don't have a named perpetrator, (coughs) right? Yes. Most, even if we talk about that two to 8%, most of the time the perpetrator is like, I don't know, a stranger jumped out at me. Um, And so it's not even an individual guy being accused. That's exactly it. That's the thing is that typically people who do make those false reports are looking for sympathy and attention. They're not looking to actually punish some specific man. So those vengeance cases are even more rare. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, And in fact, I don't (sighs) know any, there's certainly no high profile vengeance case that I can think of. And you would think that it would be pretty high profile because there are a lot of people who would love to have an example of that well Um, i think that the the people who like to talk about false rape would say that duke is a case okay yeah all right that arguably sure i mean i think her motives are a little muddy there but i think yeah i think that argument would be made um that's true that she was um but i think one interesting thing about that too is even how it tracks i can't remember if she recanted at one point and again that's another thorny thing because sometimes real victims do recant Um, But it was sort of another red flag. But the one thing that I know about her is that when they were questioning her, you know, she said um, the guy, I think the names she picked were like Adam, Mike and Brett or Adam, Matt and Brett, something like that. Um, That she said those were the names of the guys who had assaulted her. There were no guys in the room that night with those names. Interesting. So she actually didn't name anyone individual. No, she she didn't. She, um, She was real hazy on all the details. 
including using the names. Uh, yeah, I mean, the actual guys who were then prosecuted, their names had nothing to do with those. And I'm pretty sure from the research that I'm trying to remember from like over a year ago, um, there was the names she picked. There was nobody in the frat with those names. Interesting. Um, or sorry, not, nobody on the team. It wasn't a frat. Um, so, yeah, it was like there was point number one where somebody could have said, hey, do you think she's telling the truth here? Right. It's it's always just so galling that, you know, actual genuine victims go in, make reports and are treated like criminals. And then you get these weird out of the blue cases where somebody comes in with a story that makes no sense, that has a billion holes. And they're like, yes, this is the one we are going to prosecute these guys to the full. Well, because it tracks with the with the sort of mental idea that the culture has of what a real victim and a real rape looks like, which is which is a stranger jumping out of the bushes most of the time. And the Duke case is a little different. But um, but, uh, you know, most of the time it's like, oh, right. Stranger rape. That that's real rape. You know, yeah. Absolutely. So, okay, this is really fucking depressing. Um, t- I know that, you know, half of your subtitle is what we can do about it. What are some of your favorite tips or I guess the the stuff in your book is, is more like invitations for people to take action? Yeah, I mean, I'll be totally honest with you. Um, the what we can do about it part is something that my publisher demanded. <laughs> and I, I think that they were right to do it. In retrospect, it was a very wise demand to put on me, but I I almost resisted at first where I was like, man, I'm not trying to write something prescriptive. I'm trying to write something descriptive. I'm trying to just kind of pin down and articulate what rape culture looks like right now. And I don't have all the answers to what we can do about it. And they were like, okay, but give us some answers. (laughs) Basically give us some goddamn hope. Um, And so... I think there are lots of things. I think earlier consent education um, oh, yeah. coming in, like the junior high level, um, would make a big difference. Um, well, or, and there's or research to that potential. effect now. Right. Yeah. There's research to, to the effect that where they, you know, did a whole um, overview of the programs that are being taught from like junior high through college level, um, including your one off sexual harassment ser- seminar and then. Um, or sexual assault seminar, sorry. And then the kind of things that go over weeks. Um, And they found two programs that had evidence of effectiveness, and they were both ones that were aimed at younger people and that went on over six or eight weeks, that it wasn't just like, okay, we get a bunch of people together, we talk about it once, and it's done. It was like, here, we're going to start this ongoing conversation that gets into the nuance of boundaries and uh, really discusses things like dating violence, which you can't really separate from the issue of rape and sexual assault. Do they get into masculinity, do you know? You know, I'm not sure if they do, but I do think that that's, um, that's a huge part of what needs to change is, um, or at least what we need to be discussing more is the way that we represent masculinity to kids um, and the way it can so easily be corrupted into something that is about entitlement and unchecked power um, instead of just well i mean i don't you know yeah. i could get into a longer there, thing there was a really of- interesting study out of kenya um that i read a month or two ago where they took this one village and they took the boys and they literally it was a i think it was like a six or eight week thing 
mm-hmm. and they worked with them on redefining what it means to be a man, right? And okay. they reduced sexual assault against girls there by like fifty percent. Wow, I know I that that's awesome. I'll send it to you, and I'll I'll put it yeah. in the show notes too. We'll put the, all this research uh, at Yes Means Yes Show dot com uh which is where you can find the show notes for this show and all of our other shows um and it just made me think like yeah like if you just get to young people earlier uh when they haven't sort of locked in all of their ideas about this stuff uh i I really do think there is hope absolutely and to to be able to talk to them about respecting each other in different ways than we have in the past um yeah, I mean, that sounds incredibly hopeful to me. I would love to read that study. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I do think that people like Jackson Katz are doing great work in that, um, where he is someone who deals with the problem of male violence against women um, from that perspective, where he insists on you know putting the word male in there and not just kind of leaving them out of this violence against women that just happens. Um, and he does he does a lot of work in bystander educa- intervention um, and education and just trying to, to change the conversation about masculinity. Um, and of course, Michael Kimmel um, has done great work on that, too, that I really it's something that I really feel that men need to be more involved in that part of it because, you know, we can observe kind of the effects of that training in masculinity mm-hmm. but you know I've never been a young boy I've never felt that specific peer pressure and I think guys who have and who can recognize how messed up it is and the potential for it to be kind of um corroded uh I think that's really important to get them involved in that in that way so on the flip side I you know I thought it was funny um not funny haha but this is a funny part of your intro where you talk about how it was hard to know when you were done with this book because like shit keeps happening right like that the, yeah, the yeah. Cosby story is breaking as you were going to press and you know like all this stuff and so I want there have been a couple of massive things that have happened since the book has come out already which is the book hasn't even been out a month I don't think um, no, so I want to ask you specifically about girl on girl victim blaming because we've had like three different incidents we've had chrissy hine and then that horrible chicago sun times op-ed about how prostitutes can't be raped um and then susan brown miller like just like three days ago or something maybe a couple days susan brown miller Miller, for god's sake so um so i guess i'm asking you what the fuck like yeah (laughs) can we talk about this can you give me some of your insights what the fuck (laughs) what the actual fuck Uh i mean look yeah yeah like i just i mean i'm you know it's not like the first time we've seen this and i know that like i don't know i tend to think that women victim blame other women because it makes us feel safer like if there are some choices that we can make that will get us raped then then we can not make those choices and it makes us feel safer but like Jesus Christ, these people should know better. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's so weird to me on so many levels. I mean, with, with like Chrissy Hine, okay, I'll start where I have the most empathy because so much let's of her. Let's do an order come... of empathy. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with and and say briefly what happened with Chrissy Hine. Okay, so Chrissy Hine said um, she has a memoir out where she talks about um, being the victim of, of a couple of sexual assaults when she was younger. 
And then she's saying things in interviews about uh, saying things like, but I take full responsibility for that. Um, you know, I was dancing around in my underwear. I was drunk. Basically, like, I was asking for it and saying, you know, women shouldn't wear high heels if they don't want to entice a rapist. Um, it, it, just a whole bunch of, like, awful, stereotypical victim-blaming stuff. The reason she gets the most empathy for me is, one, she's not a rape scholar or even a columnist. Um, and two, like, so much of that, it's, it's clear to me, it's the story she has told herself since she was raped. Um, and that, and, and I can even relate after my rape, um, you know, maybe like a year later, I went through kind of a phase where I was like, hey, wait a minute, what if I just never got that drunk again? What if I just never went to a party alone again? Then, you know, in a way it felt empowering to me to feel like, oh, right, because the problem, part of the problem with rape is like, it feels so random where it's suddenly like, oh, you know, I didn't see that coming and now it could be coming from anywhere. And to then think like, oh, but wait, if I make these decisions, it's exactly what you said. It's it's suddenly like, oh, right, that's giving me back my control and my power. And, you know, now I can go forth and not get raped. But of course, that too is a myth. Um, and that, you know, and there certainly are people who are raped more than once. Chrissy Hine was apparently one of them. And that it, it's just, you know, there's nothing... There's nothing that you can do that will necessarily mean a damn thing if you happen to end up in a room with a rapist. And that's what's terrifying and difficult to accept, but that is also the reality. Um, and then the more you talk about what people could do in theory, obviously that just turns into victim-blaming bullshit. Um, well, so also, to- I'm at great pains to point out that the whole thing about high heels and we'll get to Susan Brown Miller who talked about dressing sure. slutty, like... It's yes. not even true, right? No. There's literally <laughs> no evidence. There's no, there's like zero research has ever found a link between how provocatively a woman was dressed and whether or not she gets raped. There is literally yeah. no link between those things. That is absolutely true. It's not um, even just like that's, we shouldn't put the focus there or it doesn't make it her fault or whatever. Like it's not, it's just false. It's just false on its face. Yeah. And it's also, you know, I was thinking about it the other day that it's, you know, Today, it's maybe high heels and short skirts, and a generation ago, it was skirts above the knee, and, a gen- you know, generations before, you know, in the Victorians, if you showed an ankle. Like, oh, yeah. I w- I'm just I'm reading this amazing book, actually, called Scarlet Sisters about Victoria Warhol. Oh, yes, I love that book. My oh, name my is yes. <laughs> and, and it's, and I'm just in the beginning, and it was like, and she was wearing this shockingly low skirt, which, like, just hit her ankle. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, that you know, you could see the tops of her boots, and it was, you know, oh, so um, Yeah, it's uh, it's it's ridiculous, and so you know, keeping in mind that that's what we think of as too much skin is very much a generational and changing kind of thing. Um, but yeah, more to the point, as you said, that there's no evidence that that means a damn thing at all. So that was disturbing. Then. I think Susan Brown Miller and um, is it Mary Mitchell, I think is her name from the Chicago Sun-Times. I think they're almost tied in my mind for different reasons. So let's go with Mary Mitchell. She wrote this piece. Um, there is a trial that's been happening recently. There was a woman who answered an ad from Craigslist, I think, um, and 
said agreed to meet this man and have sex with him for $180. When she got there, he held a gun on her and raped her. Um, and so Mary Mitchell writes this column saying basically all the same shit we've heard before about like, well, it's really just theft of services and it makes the mockery of real rape victims to compare so this to it. I mean, yeah. I think what's jaw-dropping is not that that argument gets made because it's so played, but that right. the Sun-Times, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be shocked. They run all kinds, they they ran a yeah. column a couple of years ago that Wham took them on about about how Laverne Cox is not a woman, according to some, oh, according to one guy's opinion, like, um, right, right. evidently they'll run anything, but um, yeah. yeah, anyway. Um, no, it's, it, it was just, like, ridiculous, and she was, she also seemed to be she was just really hung up on the idea that if we accept that prostitutes can be raped, then we are accepting prostitution as a legitimate profession, which I mean, I do. So there's that, <laughs> but the, the idea that like, because sex work is illegal um, and because it is in fact dangerous, she should have known. And all of these That's arguments, so, I mean, like, it's so unbelievably offensive. If I here's the metaphor I tend to use, like, let's say I decide to go bungee jumping. We can all decide right. that's a fairly dangerous leisure activity, right? Yes. Um, if somebody comes along and like cuts my bungee cord, no one's gonna say to me, like, well, you are engaging in risky behavior. Right. Right? Like Th- that's exactly like um, it's 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 like one risk does not mean it's okay to violate your body like it's just no, it's no, outrageous no and it's so dangerous not just for sex workers who experience a really high rate of sexual violence for obvious reasons because women like this people like this who make this argument but also like you know young people who are underage drinking and you know right, and like exactly oh i'm breaking the rules now i can't report and i don't get right. you know like it you see it ev- like all up and down the line in terms of like oh i'm doing one risky thing and therefore or possibly a legal thing and therefore like your rape isn't valid like give me a right. fucking break think, it keeps blowing my mind that people make these arguments that end up with well what did she expect and it's like well Ugh. she expected not to be raped like that is the answer to every one of those no matter what she was doing she expected not to be raped and the idea that there is some threshold you cross where you should expect that if you do this you're going to be raped like that that threshold does not exist does not exist i don't care if you murdered somebody right exactly um it's yeah that it just infuriates me um and it, it's just so retrograde and and as you said so played like the idea that someone felt it was really necessary to say this um and to publish it in the sun times because you know as if people haven't already made that argument one billion times i mean they got Um, what they wanted i'm sure they got a billion yeah right they got their fucking page views out of it they sold out a bunch of women who will be violated like i'm Mm -hmm. i i have to say i like in 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 order of outrage, I I hold Susan Brown Miller. Um, I'm less mad at Susan Brown Miller than I am at this woman and at the same yeah. Times. I hear you because at least Susan terms... Brown Miller has contributed good things to society. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I, I would say in terms of in terms of content, I'm absolutely more furious with Mary Mitchell. Um, in terms of context, the fact that Susan Brown Miller is a rape expert and her words right. have that weight attached to them. So it feels more like a betrayal. So, yeah. It, I mean, a betrayal, but also just that people are going to take her seriously when she says, you know, that, that women. 
You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And so we should get into what Susan Brown Miller said, which was actually quite similar to what Chrissy Hines said, that, you know, basically this young generation wants to think that they can, uh, you know, drink as much as they want and dress however much they want and not get raped. And it's like, yes, that is what, you know, that is a reasonable expectation, actually. I kind of wish there was Um, a camera on both of us while we were recording so we could do like an eye roll count for this episode. I I feel like I'm going to sprain my eye rolls, my my eyes by the end of it. Definitely. Um, But yeah, I mean, Susan Brown Miller, it's like she wrote this book that was so incredibly important in terms of putting rape on the map as something that we talk about and that we think about in terms of it being a social phenomenon and not just, you know, something that happens randomly to individuals and isn't that sad. Um, And then she's out there with this. I mean, she's 80 years old. Like, I feel like I. I have to acknowledge that. I but don't I also fucking give don't... a shit. I'm sorry. I well, feel yeah. like I should, but I don't. I don't fucking, I don't care about Dr. Ruth being 80 years old. <laughs> Fair. Like, I, and I should, yeah. I mean, I want to say that I'm acknowledging that, I think, in terms of contextualizing it, but also it doesn't matter because there are 80 years olds out there who wouldn't say such stupid bullshit also if you're that <laughs> and also there are young stop doing think. your fucking job like yeah, like yeah. if you're saying this as a professional like right as an um, expert in the field like either either get your ethics in order or stop yeah, doing it, the job and to be fair i mean i think you know it almost seems like the interview was a bit more casual but also you have to be aware of that like for the rest of our lives you and i can never say anything about rape that isn't fully considered because people are going to attach weight to it. Um, And, and I mean, that's fine because we are people who are going to fully consider it. But if, you know, I wrote about this for Cosmo and kind of said at the end of it, you know, it might very well be that when I'm 80, I'm completely out of touch with younger feminists. um, And there are things that I can't see yet that they're going to find incredibly problematic in our generation's feminism. Um, And they'll be dealing with just a whole new world. And it might be that, I don't get it, and I think they're dumb, and they're screwing it up. In that case, I need to be put out to pasture. You know? <laughs> like, um, I need to, you know, I think exactly what happens needs would need to happen, which is that the young feminists kind of hit back. And I, I should say, when I say young feminists, I think of young feminists as people twenty years younger than me. Um, so I'm not very young at all. I'm only yeah, young. I know. People think of me as a young feminist sometimes, and I'm like, dude, I'm squarely middle-aged. But um, Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that there's a world in which that's true. But uh, has Susan Brown Miller responded? Not that I've seen. Um, I, you know, I caught a glimpse of something actually on somebody's Facebook page where it, it was like, 
a friend had posted something like, you know, oh, today was an awful day. And then suddenly I saw Susan Brown Miller was like, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I was like, oh, shit. Good. I'm clicking you off know that what? now. Boo fucking who? Well, like, well, exactly. Like, just what are you thinking? Like, she and, literally you know said that once you're naked, you can't say no. Yes. That, Which is what was, Dr. Oh, said too. Like, like, literally, right. what? What I like to do whenever there's like a victim blaming excuse is sort of play it out to its logical conclusion, which is Uh you're saying that if I have gotten naked with someone, they can now do literally whatever they want with my body. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Like, are you if you're standing behind that, like that's on you. But let's be clear that that's what you're saying. Right. Right. If I wear heels or or dress what you think of as slutty, like then yeah. somebody can do literally whatever they want with my body. Exactly. And if I take my clothes off, that means I've consented to absolutely every sec- sex act under the sun. It's insane. Uh-huh. Like even beyond like, I don't like, I, I, you know, I don't feel safe. I want to stop. Like, what if I get a leg cramp, right? <laughs> like yes, what totally. if I get sore? Like, like consent is just not a light switch. It's just yeah. not. I mean, I know I've been saying that for years so much that I'm bored of saying it, but like. No, but apparently we keep, need to keep <laughs> saying it. And that's exactly it. And I constantly am using the like leg cramp, like, or, oh, you're, you know, you're on my arm kind of example as moments where we're renegotiating consent that it's not like oh my god let's stop this and talk for 10 minutes about how you're on my arm and it hurts it's like right like (laughs) i need to to stop because the circumstances have changed for any fucking reason yep yep any reason um yeah and and the fact that uh you know these women um who have done so much good work in the world are then, you know, at the end of their careers now saying all the same shit that I feel like they were fighting against. You know, somebody said on my Facebook about it, um, I would like to send Susan Brown Miller to a women's studies 101 class where her book is taught. (laughs) I know. I mean, and the thing that made me sad also was she actually said some useful things in that same interview about how the focus on campus rape leaves folks who aren't, who are in that age group, but aren't on campus out to dry, which I absolutely believe, Um, you know, like there were some interesting things and even in that interview, but like, we -hmm. don't have space to talk about them because we're too busy, like playing defense against, Susan Brown Miller like I know I know I know right like of all the people that you thought you were gonna have to um kind of go up against when we started doing this work like yeah I keep saying to people like I thought um I thought for sure I was gonna get media requests from like Fox News or something and or you know not necessarily that would actually be a fairly big hit but like from conservative media that wanted to take me on and uh, make me look stupid. And as far as I know, I haven't gotten those requests um, unless my publicist is just saying no to them. Um, but like, no, it's always, it's, it's the people on your own side that you aren't expecting. It. Like suddenly I have to defend myself. To, I mean, not that that Ungle. was or you, but ugh. yes. Um, Speaking yes, of uh, right wing responses, ha- I know that you did get it from the MRAs. Oh, sure. Um, you know, the thing is, so far, I have been able to tune them out pretty easily. When I spoke in New York a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me, like, you know, what, how have the responses been? Have it been good and bad? And I said, oh, you know, it's been primarily incredibly positive. Like, I really haven't gotten much blowback at all. And my agent was in the crowd. And she was like, Kate, did you read the comments on your Rolling Stone article? <laughs> <laughs> I love 
that your agent was like, no, the response hasn't all been positive. Like, what is wrong with you? The response has been unbelievably horrible. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the answer is no, I didn't read the comments. And I get MRAs on my Twitter all the time and I block them immediately. So they, they just, you know, go in one ear and one out the other. Um, and it's, you know, she said she sat her husband and her sons down and said, you're going to read these comments with me to see what it's actually like for women who write about this and speak about this. And I think that's an important thing. But I also feel like without having read those, I know it's, you know, part of it is that we're just so inured to it after years of doing this work. We know what all the comments are going to say. Right. Um, I'm not even going to ask you what the comments said. No. And I, I mean, I don't know. I still haven't read them. I mean, I think all right. it's basically... I want to know how you do that. I always say that I won't, but like <laughs> I'm drawn to them in some weird way. I do oh, yeah. have, I, I tend to appoint someone. Usually it's my partner to like read them for me and like let me know if there's anything worrisome I need to uh, to worry about and also just sort of summarize their dumb arguments um, right. <laughs> so that I can at least know what's going on I don't know there's I have this weird thing where like I need to know what's being said but um so yeah. kudos to you for like truly ignoring them you know and maybe it's because like you know you never really kept up a regular daily blog did you no and there's a reason yeah. for that <laughs> yeah and that's <laughs> um that is where I learned about the comments <laughs> and also where I got every comment for the first and second and 10th time so that I don't feel the need to ever read them again. But um, having done that for three straight years and, you know, the comments on Shapely Prose were super well moderated, um, but it was us who were doing, right, you, you know, saw the, the writers the doing it. So one, I still yeah. saw it all. Um, and then I was writing at Salon at the same time and every single thing I published or any, any woman published on that site would then just be savaged in the comments. Um, and I was just like, no, it's like, nobody is paying me enough to put myself through <laughs> reading this shit. And there's never anything important in it because honestly, I mean, once the comments are taken over by that kind of stuff, then the thoughtful and interesting people aren't there anymore. Right. Um, and you know, to the extent that I need to be made aware of any given MRA argument, I can read David Futrell's blog, uh, We Hunted the Mammoth, or I can look at, you know, the guys who come to my Twitter before I block them. Um, and they have yet to make an argument that really impresses me as anything more than an ignorant and extremist version of the good questions I tackle when reasonable people ask them. <laughs> no, it's not so much that I want to like follow their arguments because I think they're going to convince me of anything. It's, oh, yeah. it's more, I don't know if I can even, I think it's more like a car crash. Like I can't look oh, away. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, I definitely used to have that a lot. Um, and I also, you know, I also spent a lot of time, uh, years ago, reading other feminist blogs and reading through their comments where when it wasn't directed at me, then I could really kind of like mm. perversely enjoy the car crash thing. Um, but yeah, now I'm just like, no, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to give the mental space to those people who just want to make me feel bad for saying things like this. And I, I wish I could tell you how to do it but I kind of can't any more than I can tell somebody like how I quit smoking basically sure like... I mean look it gets me a lot less than it used to th even sure. a year or two ago I think I get I get there gradually but I I aspire to be where you are where I'm genuinely not reading the comments right and I think um one thing that makes me slightly nervous about not reading the comments is I know that a lot of other people read them looking for threats that need to be taken seriously Oh, that's part uh, of why I have my partner read them. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, 
part of me is just kind of like winging it and hoping that there's nothing in there that I really do need to pursue. Yeah. Um, and so far, no one has brought it right to my door. Um, I've been lucky in that way. But I am nervous for the first time because I'm going to um, Toronto, which is one of my hometowns. Oh, and which um, is like one of the MRA Central. MRA too. Central. And I know when you spoke in Kingston. Oh, you my God. Contingent. Yeah. It was a shit show. In- right. I-, I had a security detail. Yeah. Ugh. I can't believe, and I, you know, I'm not even going to a campus where I can get security detail. I'm going to a bookstore. Um, and it, my husband has been coming with me to some of the events. Um, and one of the things that he's thinking, like, you know, he has, he's a big guy who has uh, worked as a nightclub bouncer for a while. And he, um, he wants to be there in case they yes. show up. And I'm like, okay, that's good. But you also, like... Yeah, if somebody's just being annoying and needs to be thrown out on his ass, you're the guy to do it. If somebody brings a gun, like, there's nothing we can do about that. I can't live in fear of that because that's what they're trying to do. Right. Um, These guys. It's actual terrorism. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. actual terrorism. Um, And whether, you know, whether it's somebody who is saying, I'm going to do specific things to you in particular or just a bunch of guys talking about how feminists are awful and um, how feminists deserve to be raped, feminists deserve to be killed, etc. It's like all of it, the point of it is to make us want to stop talking and want us to go stop going out and speaking to crowds and um, you know, connecting with people about these subjects um, that the MRAs and other opponents would rather we just shut the fuck up about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not going to shut the fuck up. Like that's the answer. Well, brava. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm glad that your, your husband is going to be there. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad um, thing. Um, so we yeah. never quite got to specifics about like what you're in the book. Some of the stuff you're inviting people to do. And I think mm-hmm. maybe we want to, I want to get to the advice question, but maybe before then we can wrap up talking about your book by talking about, you know, what are some of the opportunities that, that the good people listening to this podcast, you'd like to invite them to join you on? Well, I think one thing is um, having conversations with people around you. Like one of the things, uh, you know, that's one of the easiest things to do at the individual level, which is not to say it is easy. Um, it can be very difficult to initiate these conversations, especially with someone who wants to be confrontational, but um, one of the kind of most exciting and heartening responses I'm getting from this book is people telling me like, um, I'm halfway through it and I'm already having fights with my husband about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh I man, the MRAs are going to twist things. that one up. Right, I know. Yes. I'm trying to break up marriages cause I'm an evil feminist. Um, no, but I mean, pleasant, you know, reasonable fights and things like, you know, I had somebody say, who works on a college campus, say a coworker of hers was um, talking about, well, we should have students report to the police before they report to us. And this person who was reading my book was like, let me tell you why that's wrong. Um, so that's really exciting to me is that it just, I hope that the book can give people kind of, um, you know, resources and talking points for starting discussions with people around them. I also, I'm a believer in bystander intervention. It's not perfect. It has problems, but um, encouraging people uh, to recognize when something, and this is often, very often campus-based, so obviously it's got its limits, but um, 
anything from like, you know, a Steubenville situation to seeing your friend at a party who looks really drunk and kind of out of control, maybe leaving with a guy, just being able to check in and do something. Because one of the most disturbing things to me is that in all of like the gang rape situations where you have a bunch of witnesses, there are people, you know, the people who are there and videoing tend to say like, oh, I didn't realize it was rape. I didn't really know that this was a crime. But there are always people who walk out of the room. And it's like, how do we turn the people who know something fucked up is going on and walk out of the room into people who will say, no, this is fucked up. Stop it. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's something to be thinking about. And it can be, you know, I use examples in the book of um, the same friend at two different college parties where I just checked in with her once when she was about to leave with a guy and she'd been drinking a lot. And she was like, no, it's cool. I want to do this. And I was like, okay. Um, and it was cool. And and then there was another time where she was like dancing with a guy and she seemed really, really out of it. And he was really kind of like, um, you know, groping her aggressively. And I just broke in there and he was not happy about it at all. But I was just like, no, I need her to tell me she's okay before she keeps doing this. And she was like, I am not okay. Please get me out of here. Um, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, I think we can be aware of if you're in situations where... Um, and that's the kind of message that I want to give to people apart, you know, as opposed to don't get too drunk and don't, you know, start anything with a guy that you're not ready to finish or whatever. It's like, no, check in on your friends, like try and make sure that something is not about to happen around you that, you know, you could prevent by just going up and starting to talk to two people at this point that it never has to get to, um, the point where you are seeing, you know, where something terrible is happening. And so, I mean, apart from that, you know, I don't really have much like, you know, write your congressman or something. Um, I, I do think, you know, you can be aware of like right now, there are two bills where there is, um, I think it's the Safe Campus Act that's the one um, that is saying basically that if a campus is going to adjudicate a rape accusation, then it also has to be reported to police. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. And people mm -hmm. should know why that's terrible. Um, which is that campuses are in a position to do things um, to protect victims that the police aren't necessarily and that you shouldn't have to. Well, and not every uh, victim even sees the police as their ally. You know, we certainly. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I, like, go ahead. We certainly, I mean, I, I think probably listeners of this podcast don't need a, a schooling on uh, police brutality in the right, U.S., exactly. but but, uh, but that you know the idea that like every victim is going to want anything to do with the police uh, right. is and is really false. With and with rape in particular, even even if you have no prior experience with police brutality, um, there are there's ample reason to suspect that you might have just a terrible experience that re-traumatizes you if you report to police, um, because so often people are you know, people who report rapes are then investigated as if they themselves are criminals. Right. Um, well, and not to mention, you know, not bec especially because a lot of rapists know their victims and vice versa. Not yeah. every victim feels comfortable starting a, a process in which the end result might be that the rapist goes to jail for any number of reasons. Um, and so having an option where the option is the rapist is no longer in my community, you know, mm -hmm. is is I, I really believe in survivors having options, right? More choices. Having power and control is the best way for, for victims to heal. Um, and certainly yeah. in pursuing justice, 
that's one of the key places that we need to be giving victims power and control. And so having, you know, online judicial processes is on, online on campus, <laughs> on campus, having yeah. on campus judicial processes is is an another it's an alternative judicial process. And, and if the schools can provide it, I think they really should. Absolutely. And and that's what I chose myself, where um, me too, you know, by the I, way. Nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, not nice, obviously, but yeah, that like I was 17 when I was raped. I was brand new on campus. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I did, you know, I went to my RA. She took me to the hospital. All I was thinking about was um, STIs and the morning after pill. And so, you know, a, a very kind doctor there did an exam and asked if I wanted to have a rape kit done. And I, I, the only thought going through my head was, I don't want my parents to know. Mm. And it's like, you know, who knows it, it, down the line, obviously I, I did tell them actually. Um, and I went through the campus hearing, but like, that's part of the reason why when people, you know, why it's so frustrating when people are like, well, why didn't she report it right away? It's like, because that's the kind of shit that goes through your head the morning after when you have, you know, when you're still reeling from what just happened, especially when you're very young, um, like at 40, it just breaks my heart to think of a young woman feeling that, that like, and I had very, you know, nice supportive parents. Not everyone does. Um, and I was still terrified of the thought of them finding out. And, and so it can be a reason like that, that is why someone doesn't want to go to the police. Um, and whereas the cultural assumption tends to be that if you don't want to go to the police, it's because it didn't really happen and you're making it up. Ugh. Yeah. Blarg. Right. <laughs> exactly. Blarg. <laughs> Would you like to help somebody out? Sure. And this Let's question actually, um, I don't think I thought of this when I, when I paired it with you, but um, it relates to early consent education. Um, yeah. Uh, because, well, because for reasons it would become clear. So we got... Uh, an advice question from a listener who writes, I am a Catholic teenager who's wondering if the act of masturbation is still considered to be a sin. Also, is it really considered to be gravely disordered and always morally wrong? I'm somewhat late to going through the changes physically. I do believe that it is a natural way to find out about one's body and how it can be used. I've heard that's not a sin, but a natural and healthy thing to do. I've also heard that it is a sin. I've heard that a vast majority of both boys and girls do it. I've done it recently and I'm going through puberty. There are no thoughts, images, or fantasies involved. I do think that it is better than having a nocturnal emission, having to clean your underpants and hide it so no one will think that I wet the bed. Is it normal to feel confused about it after doing it? I'm planning to talk to my parents and a priest to see what they think of it. If my parents say that it is natural and a normal thing to do, does that mean it's all right to do so? The only tricky thing is that I'm not entirely sure how to approach the subject with them. I've mentioned it to my mother, and she doesn't seem to be bothered by it. She said that it's better to do that than go out and have intercourse with girls. I used to masturbate when I was 13 or 14 and would feel fine afterwards. When I got older, I started to think that I should cut back a bit now, and I'm confused over it. I haven't done it in six weeks. I guess what I'm trying to say in all of this is that I would like to be able to masturbate without feeling guilty or shameful. I love and believe in God and want to know what the views are on it. If we aren't supposed to feel guilty, how should one let go of the guilt? Aww. Okay. Well, I know. I want to give him a hug. I know. Um, the So I have basically two responses. What I will tell you is 
that both in terms of what science tells us and my own opinion, um, it, the answer to every single question that starts, is it normal, is yes, yes, you're so normal and it's so natural, masturbation is so okay. Um, in terms of the Catholic position, I am actually not up on exactly what that is right now, but what I will tell you as someone who was raised Catholic is that um, part of grappling with your um, relationship with God is figuring out what your own conscience tells you. And that's what you're trying to do now. And I really admire the way that you're, you're struggling with it and taking it very seriously. Um, your conscience will ultimately have to be your guide. You can have guidelines set by God, the Pope, your priest, but at the end of the day, you have to decide if what you're doing is harmful is sinful or not. Um, and I really hope you come down on the side of deciding that masturbation is not sinful, that you're not hurting anyone, um, that it is something you are allowed to enjoy your body. Um, you're allowed to get to know your body that way. And it is perfectly healthy. You know, there's nothing, you can't masturbate too much. It's not going to um, have some devastating consequences on you physically or emotionally um and i will tell you that i cannot imagine a god who would want to punish you for that i know i mean i yeah. i think that at heart this question is about navigating mixed messages about sex mm -hmm. which whether or not listeners have navigated this particular question is something that we all have to do, right? That, mm -hmm. right. you know, we hear this from one person or source that we trust and we hear this other thing from another person or source that we trust. Um, and, uh, you know, one part, I, I edited that question for length and one of the things that he said is that he's in Ontario where they do have this new early consent education pro mm -hmm. program that's saying like, it's totally fine. He, I, I, what I hear is somebody who feels super confused. And, and I think the one thing I want to say to you is it's also normal to feel confused because the culture that you live in is super confused about sex, right? Yes. Like it's not, <laughs> yes. it's not you. And that's what I would mm -hmm. say about the guilt, right? Like right. the fact that you feel confused, the fact that you're pulled in different directions is not your fault and it's not an accident. Like yeah. we live in this culture that is really confused and contradictory about sex. And I think that's why what Kate said about ultimately you have to develop your own conscience and your own guideposts about it um, is so important, right? Like you're never – like on almost any question about sex – you're going to find yeah. wildly differing opinions and prescriptions. Um, and so the more you can listen to yourself. And I think what what's interesting to me is that you said that when you first started doing it, when you were 13 and 14, you felt fine. Right. It felt good and natural to you. And I would really listen to that. Like it wasn't until somebody else said something external that it made you feel bad. And that's a, that's a sign to me that it's actually fine for you and that that's yeah. somebody else's agenda. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that that's, you know, it's part of being a teenager and growing up in general is figuring out who you are versus who other people are telling you to be. Yeah. And this is just one manifestation of a question that you're going to have to deal with over and over. And it's a hard question, but it's, you know, the most rewarding one you're going to grapple with is who are you? I, I mean, I'm also basing that in part on, I just, uh, my vague memory of when I was actually trying really hard to be a Catholic. 
um, that there is a line somewhere in the catechism that says um, that ultimately your own conscience is is your guide, essentially. Because, I mean, when you think back to the history of it, there have been wildly corrupt popes who did terrible things, you know. So it's, it's not always going to be the case that the religious authorities um, can be counted on to be the ones speaking for God. So, you know, that's where your own conscience comes in and that if you can't think of a good reason why what you're doing is hurting anybody or causing pain in the world, then you have to ask yourself why that would be considered a sin. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're okay. You really are. Yeah, yeah you are. <laughs> um, Kate, do you want to leave our listeners with any sort of question or, or, or challenge you want them to talk about on, on Twitter using the YMY hashtag? Sure. I will challenge them to discuss other things um, in the what we can do about it category. Like, what have you seen working? What do you, what do you feel is a good idea? Um, try and leave it on that hopeful note of like, what do we do to make the change? I would love to hear that from younger people, especially. Awesome. Excellent. So use the hashtag YMY, or if you don't want to participate on Twitter, you can also email me at YMY, as in yes means yes, at JacquelineFriedman.com. Kate, how can people follow you and your book? Where can they get the book? Where can they follow you online? All of that good stuff. They should be able to get the book at bookstores everywhere or at Powell's or Amazon or your favorite indie um, online or off. It is also available as an ebook and an audiobook. Um, Wait, did you read and- the audiobook? I didn't. Um, uh, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting her last name now. An actress named Erin, who is lovely, did it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that's available now, too, from major booksellers. And I am Kate Harding on Twitter. And I my author site is at kateharding.info. And uh, you can also follow my public posts on Facebook, which is uh, facebook.com slash Ms. Kate Harding. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. You can see the show notes for this and all of our other past shows as well as listen to past shows at yesmeansyesshow.com. You can also check out my, all my other work at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Please do also email me or tweet at me ideas for future guests or topics on the show and or your advice questions that you'd like to have help with for me and a future guest, you can send them to YMY at JacquelineFriedman.com. Thank you so much for listening. Kate, thanks so much for being on. Thank you. And until next time, we're wishing you all safe and happy sex lives. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.